morning, everyone. Before I go, before I start, I want to take a picture with a full room. You guys ready? So if you want to pose or whatever, let's see. Ready? Uh-oh. Now, if you move, it's a pano, so you're going to have like four different head, hands. How many of you, here, you know, take your Bibles. Let me share a scripture with you and then <coughs> open to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me just to let you know where I'm coming from today and where I think the Lord has me, <coughs> excuse me, and has a lot of you, I'm sure. We're going to find out in a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, <clears throat> Paul's describing a time in his life, excuse me, <coughs> Paul's describing a time in his life, a season, probably much more than we, believe, we would realize, certainly my season, I wonder if it's yours. In verse 1 it says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And as I was thinking through and I woke up this morning and, and was just meditating on the time coming here, the scripture was on my heart to let you know that that's how I'm coming to you. And I'm praying uh, for a demonstration of the Holy Spirit in your life. And before we even begin, if you're here today and you're carrying a burden, a, a difficulty, uh, an issue, um, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be carrying it for a day or a week or a month or even a year or so. Um, I always want you to stand up. I want you to acknowledge it because we want to pray for you. I want to get that out of the way right away, that, that you, this is just your life, men. And I think you'll understand as we weave through the Bible together. Uh, this isn't one of those things where you have to feel pressure to stand up because people around you are for certain. I never want that. But let's just be honest about why uh, God needs to raise up an army of men in our church, why God needs to bring men back into their home, why, why God needs to and why we need to cooperate with God uh, for the work of men on the earth. And one of the reasons why there are things that are so difficult in your life and why you're experiencing some things that are external from your pain is because of your pain. And so if you didn't stand up and you're in a good time right now, there's a man next to you. Would you lay hands on him? Would you just get up and lay hands and let's just start by acknowledging the very presence of God that many of us are all here in weakness. We are here in a great difficulty and we want to acknowledge that before God. And let's be real because until you really understand your condition, you're not going to be able to grow from it. You're not going to be able to humble yourself like you are right now and ask God to touch you, to encourage you, and to strengthen you. And Almighty God, we acknowledge you in this place today. We acknowledge your great and power, your, your great and mighty power among us. We acknowledge our own weakness, that we even came to this conference in much weakness. Maybe some came in fear and trembling. We don't come with some persuasive words. We're not interested, God, in, in impressing one another. We just want to be right with you, God. We want to make a difference in our community, in our homes. 
We want to make a difference in our lives, in our churches. We want to be the men that you've created us to be. We want to be the men that even more than what you've created, exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think or ask. And in particular, the men that, are, that have asked uh, and acknowledged um, heaviness in their life. The heaviness of pornography. The heaviness of alcohol and drugs. The heaviness of deceit and lies. The heaviness of pain and grief and sorrow. The heaviness of a broken marriage, of an unequally yoked uh, relationship. The brokenness and difficulty of singleness. And on and on, life's journey, Lord, brings us to a place of great dependence. And so please, Lord, we acknowledge you. We plead with you. And we ask you to meet us here long before a mouth is even opened and your word is even taught that you, by your spirit, would speak now by the power that is in us, that is upon us, and that comes through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, men. Thank you. So with your Bibles, open them to a couple places, would you please? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. And... We'll end up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In a Bible study that I've entitled, I'm All In. And it surrounds the topic of trials and difficulties. We often don't see trials and difficulties as the motivating factor for us to decide to be all in. But oftentimes they really are. And the reality of a decision to be all in has everything to do with what you believe you want to do with your life and what you believe your life has meaning and why it has meaning. Can I just say that for the last couple years in my own personal life, me as a man, with no titles and no responsibilities, just a man, has been a very, very difficult few years. Um, All the difficulties that maybe I haven't experienced my, my own life, and I went through a lot being in the world and being a drunkard and bringing a lot on myself, Uh, The last two years, it it seems as if has encompassed all of those years and more in great trial and difficulty in the Lord. Punch after punch and hit after hit makes you want to tap out. Now, I'm not a big MMA guy, but I've started, we have a guy in our church that is just a phenomenal star, so I've been paying attention. So I understand what tap out means, although I don't think I could even make it a second in that little circle ring. But maybe you want to tap out or give up just everything that's happened to you. And of course, there's been significant highlights in my life uh, in the last couple years, the the greatest of which is burying my own son. Men aren't designed, and we weren't built to bury our own kids and to stand at the graveside where your name of your son is there, which for me in particular is my name, seeing that on the ground. And all of the things that are extended with that the sin upon sin that comes against our family because of that loss. It's, it's incredible. There have been other things, and it's not a day for me to go list by list, but I wonder what it is in your life that has been used to strike you. And it reminded me, and I asked you to open in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, something happens to Jesus that we see a response that I think by way of extension can be you and I. Certainly not what Jesus went through in the crucifixion and in the great spiritual plan of his life. But in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, this is what is spoken of by Jesus. He predicts this and he says, 
Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And isn't that, our, isn't that the ingrained response when God tells us, like Jesus is telling the disciples here, and by way of application for us, isn't that our response when God says to us, Jesus will tell us, in this world you'll have tribulation, or, or even now, the things in your life will be very difficult and very hard, and some of you will be tempted to turn your backs on God, and some of you in your weakened condition will step away from the things of God, and some of you in the midst of great weight of burden and trial will turn your back and forsake God, And what is our first response? It's often just like Peter, no way. Yes way. Yes, it's a warning. Because what Jesus said happened, didn't it? There he was hanging on the cross in great agony. He was struck and the disciples were scattered. We're so grateful it wasn't permanently, but they were scattered. And in that time I was thinking, in their scattering, what was going on? And I think what's going on in a time of great difficulty is that we are asking questions about our lives, men. Reevaluating where we're at, what God has for us, what's happening, reconsiderations. What do I do now? How do I respond to this? And I love what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3. I'll just read it to you in verse 14. He says, I press toward the goal. I press toward the goal. I look at the consideration of my own life. Now, you have to understand in my, in my personality, before I was saved, I was all into the world. I was all into sin, man. There was, no, there was no, like, I didn't just dabble in it. That was my downfall. That's a bad characteristic to have when you get addicted to some substance because if you're all in, then it's just gonna wipe you out. And that was, off, that was the, the direction of my life. I was all in and that's what got me in trouble. Uh, that's what wiped me out. That's what dropped, you know, landed me in jail. That's why I was drunk and under the influence most of the time, because I was all in. And I'm grateful that when God redeems a person, that he retains the personality, he just redeems it. He turns it around. And so in my personality, it's like, okay, the moment that I received Jesus walking up the aisle on a Wednesday night, when the gospel was proclaimed to me over and over again, God's great love, that God loves someone like me and is willing and wanting to forgive me and bring me into relationship, that decision was a turning point in my life. The Bible calls it being born again. And I wonder if some of you are here today and you've never been born again. And there will be opportunity for you to receive Jesus, to accept his offer of forgiveness. And it could be that is the major burden in your life, that you've approached God religiously, or you've approached God through a church family, and you have wanted to make things right, but you've attempted to do so with your own strength and your own wisdom and your own power, and, and you know, I'll handle this, and I'll tackle this. Well, the Bible says, a man, you must be born again. There is no other way. No wonder there's such frustration in your life and no wonder there's such great difficulty. You and I will never make progress in our own flesh. Did you know the Bible says in our own strength and our own flesh, we cannot please God? And so some of you today, that is what God is calling you into, a life of being born again, a new life that comes from Jesus. But whatever your personality is, God would have you to be all in. You don't have to be like me or like someone that you know. God loves you just the way you are. He saved you in your personality. And he loves you enough to grow you and mature you. And one of the ways that he grows us and matures us is through great difficulty and trial. 
through being struck. You know, you think of some of, the, some of the things that are going on in your home right now that greatly concern you. Could it be because you've been struck and your family's scattered? You look at some of the things that are going on in your workplace under your responsibility, and there seems to be a little chaos and a little difficulty. Could it be that you've been struck and the people around you have been scattered? You review your responsibilities in the church and your responsibilities, whether you have them or not, uh, you do have responsibilities in the church. Whether you're serving or not, God does want you to have responsibility. And you wonder, why is there just, there just seems to be everything around me is not making sense and it's not in order. Could it be that you are in the midst of, well, like Jesus, you were struck and the people that are closest to you are scattered and the quickest way that you will rise up again. You see, that's the good news about Jesus, isn't it? He was crucified, he was struck, and there was a scattering, but three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead, and he's alive today, and he brought incredible order and strength to a group of people that were reevaluating and reconsidering, and I invite you into that today. I beg you to reconsider your life as it is. There's so much more for you, and it makes sense then, now does it? It makes sense that because if If a man can be struck and there's chaos that will follow, now you can see just a little bit more of what's happening in your life. As our brother said just earlier, he was. It was so funny. I was standing next. next, I'm standing next to Pastor Eric, and is it Brent? So Brent is up here leading worship, and he said, "I was having a discussion with my wife last night, and I just like, yeah, I know what kind of discussion that is. I get it. I wonder what it is." It's funny because the enemy loves to do that. Marie and I were uh, driving to the harvest alternative thing we had last night. And we're just driving along. It's, it's about a 20-minute drive. Uh, and we're goofing off. And, and I'm driving. And she tried to knock off my hat. And I'm like, hey, woman, I'm driving. I'm driving. And so she was like, I don't care. And so she's kind of messing with me. So I took my hat off and I hit her. And, and so she's, I'm like, that should stop it. Oh, no. It doesn't stop it. And so it increased a little bit more where we were at a red light and, and I wasn't looking. I took my hat and I went, boom, and I got her on the forehead. I know. That's how I felt. <laughs> it's exactly how I felt. And so she put her head down and I'm so sorry and Caitlin's in the back and it's like, oh, the enemy loves to use the discussions or the goofiness or the realities of life distract us. We were on our way to something that was very glorious and we needed to resolve it before we got there, which I only had about five minutes to make this work. Five minutes (laughs) to humble myself and say, I'm sorry, honey, I hit you with my hat. (laughs) It's not funny. Stop laughing because she's going to watch this. She might even be watching online right now. And I'm sorry, babe. Watch camera. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If only the things that strike us would be that easy to resolve. But they are there to cause us to depend upon the Lord. It's very important that we embrace the trials in our lives. That we accept them. Because I've learned that trials have a way of establishing establishing us in our faith. Trials and difficulties. Being struck, if you will. Listen, trials don't destroy us. But they are intended tools to destroy our flesh. Let me repeat that for you, especially for those that you've stood today. The trials and difficulties in our lives are not not intended to destroy us, but to destroy our flesh. 
They are tools of God to kill it, to crucify it. You remember Daniel's friends when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. A careful reading of Daniel chapter 3 will reveal to you that they were thrown into the fiery furnace bound, but because of the fires, they came out loosed. Now, we don't know exactly if it was the fire that burned away those things that were holding them, or if it was that fourth one in the fire, like the Son of God, Jesus himself, like living out Psalm 23, going through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, Jesus is right there with them. Whether he went in and carefully untied everything for them, or the very fires of life burned them away. The truth is, as a loving father only can, sometimes he allows the flames to burn around us so that they might even burn away those things that are holding us captive. That we go into things bound, but we come out of them loosed. Or like Joseph would learn in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, where he looks at his brothers and has every opportunity to, in his mind, make everything right and just and take care of those rotten guys that were rotten toward him. But instead he looks at them with great comforting eyes, I'm sure, and says, you know what? What was intended for evil, God has used. He's turned it around. And what was intended for evil, he says this, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Men, you have to make a decision to go all in as the husband that you are. It's not your wife's fault. Men, you have to make a decision to be the godly employee and the godly boss that you are. It's not everyone else's fault that you're not all in, that you're not leaning upon the very strength that God... You see, you have a choice, and so do I. We have a choice to lean on the resources of Adam. Do you want to lead your home like Adam? That's a participatory thing. Anybody? So, yeah, I think I would like to be... Well, then we're going to talk to you afterwards. We don't want to lead. We don't want to ruin things like Adam ruined things. And yet, that's what we inherited. When you think of all your smarts and all of your education, you think of all of your wisdom and all of your experience, that all tends to be in the realm of Adam. It needs to be touched by the Spirit of God so that we might rely upon our resources that have come as born-again men, that we are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. You've got to come to the place, guys, where you learn that your sufficiency is not of yourself. We are not. We have no sufficiency of ourselves, but our sufficiency, the Bible says, and it's true, our sufficiency is of God. And I find no other way to make those steps in my own life than to cast my whole lot in with the God who loves me. You see, suffering is a part of life. It's a part of your life and mine. Paul is in his life as he describes it even in the scripture that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 he's like you know I came to you in weakness I came to you I came to you with nothing except the excellence of God what will happen to you when you make a decision to, to come with nothing except the excellence of God in every area of life when you're loving your wife as Christ loved the church you're raising your kids to be godly not just good You are serving in your singleness in great purity and honesty and fidelity where you're a man of your word, a man that leads and not follows, a man that represents the very presence of God, a man that takes a stand for what is right and what is righteous. 
all in. And it could be that the things that are going on in your life right now are really causing you to ask. God is saying, are you going to go all in or not? What are you waiting for? As you grasp the reality of trials, well, let me show you something. Would you turn over to 2 Corinthians now? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And like I was saying earlier, I am generally an all-in kind of person. Even as a believer, it can get me in trouble sometimes where I'm rushing, 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 and God hasn't really been leading, leading, uh, and I meet, I, that meets up with great failure. <laughs> We're like, oh, Lord, I need to follow your lead. You know, I don't need to run ahead of you, and I don't need to lag behind you. I need to follow your lead. And this is what God is using in my life to grab my attention and keep it focused on Him. I can feel very much like Paul here, as he says in verse 7, and lest I be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Would you mark that? Mark that verse in your life, men. It is so counterintuitive to how you feel. Somewhere along the way, for some of us have raised at a very young age, we were taught to be strong, to never show any sign of weakness, to never give any hint of weakness, to, to put on a good, good face, and if, you don't, if you're not strong, pretend to be strong, because men are always strong. And I believe that's, a, that's, a, that's a, really a misdefinition, really, of what true strength is. It's not outward manly strength. It's inward godly strength so that you, can, you and I can experience weakness and when we're weak, that's our strongest because we're not relying upon ourselves. But we wrestle with this just like Paul did. I mean, after all, who wants a thorn in your flesh? Who wants a constant, continual pain? Who wants to be stumbled by the realities of difficulty in our lives? And so, like Paul the Apostle, we cry out. We cry out for this thorn to be removed, and I'm thankful that God is so gracious that he would hear our cries. But if you look at it from Paul's perspective, as he's experiencing the pain and experiencing the difficulty, and he's asking, he's asking for a prayer, and he's praying, and I'm grateful that God says he can come to him with everything and cast all our cares upon him. But if you want to see this passage for what it is, Paul is simply asking, God, I don't want your will for my life. I don't want it. Because in this case, God's will for Paul's life was this continual, forever thorn. And Paul was reevaluating his life at this time. I don't think he's in sin. I don't think he's uh, an ungodly man. I think he's a real person wrestling with real things in the real world, real pain, real sorrow. I mean, for those of you that are Bible students, you know that word thorn has some significant meaning to it. It has the idea in the original language as something pointed or sharp, 
like a, like a tent stake, something painful, or the point of a sharp hook. Not, not a little hook, but a big hook. We don't know what it was for sure, but we do know it was painful, irritating, and ultimately humbling. We do know that he constantly had a desire to see it escape from his life. We do know that it drew him in a deeper relationship with the God of the universe, asking for it to be removed, asking for it. There's, can there be any, any way? It reminds us even of the words of Jesus in the garden, doesn't it? It's one of the most special parts of a trip to Israel is when we go into the garden area, a little private garden of Gethsemane with the old olive trees there. And and we have some private and quiet time around that little garden. And you just think of the, the wrestling of prayer that our Jesus went through right before the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done was the, the end of that, very much like Paul here. And so I don't think it's sinful. And I don't think it's just a time of like, man, this is hard. This is painful. It won't go away. There's got to be something else, God. I love you and I serve you and I, I want to be. And if there was anybody that was ever described in the Bible as all in, wouldn't you agree Paul was that kind of personality? I mean, that brother was nonstop. That brother was just, man, I want to take, take this world for Jesus in a very real way. Up to this point in 2 Corinthians 12, this is 14 years of wrestling. This represents 14 years of Paul's life in this thorn in the flesh. And we notice that this has happened in his life so that he might be humble before God and humbled before others. He happened to have these glorious, great visions and revelations. I mean, he saw things that none of us have seen yet. I'd like to see them, but do you really? You know, you kind of, well, I want to see some visions or revelations. Usually the visions or revelations come with an associated thorn. It's kind of a side thing, a little gift. Oh, I forgot the thorn comes with the visions and revelations. That in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Anyone that desires to live godly, just the desire will suffer, the Bible says. And that was the life that Paul lived. What a torn, difficult place for him to be between heaven and hell, between pain and humility. He pleads. Whatever it was, Paul's prayers were saturated with the desire, the request to take it away, get it out of my life. Three times he pleads with the Lord. Who wouldn't ask God to remove it? Who hasn't among us pleaded with God for him to remove a pain and a difficulty? I totally get it, Paul. And yet his answer, God's answer in verse 9 is so beautiful. It's so wonderful. And this is what I want to leave you with. Because going all in isn't just some decision that you and I make. It isn't just some commitment that we make. It isn't just a card that we sign. It's a depth of fullness and relationship with the God that loves you. That's all in. The more you know God and the more you experience his love, the more he draws you in. The more you leave your flesh behind and the more you're consumed with the presence and the love of Jesus in our lives. The answer in verse 9 begins with, my grace is enough for you. Or my grace is sufficient for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 4, it says, we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think as anything is being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Who has also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. 
Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I don't believe a time of, uh, of a conference with the, entitled, the title of All In is God's way of demanding more from you. You need to commit to more, and you need to do more, and if you just committed to more and did more, you could then define yourself as all in. I don't believe that's the heart of God at all. I believe the heart of God is simply this. Jesus says to us, I'm all in, and I invite you into a relationship where you are consumed with my sufficiency no matter what you go through. That I am, Jesus says, to you and to me, fully sufficient for you, which tells me that in him, we've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness, that in him is true freedom, in him is true safety and protection, in him is no longer worrying about what people think about us or what people say about us or what kind of attitudes and judgments are thrown against us. No longer are we concerned about impressing someone or trying to one-up each other, but rather in Christ, we're looking at each other to edify, to build up. How can I best serve you, brother? How can I best be there for you, brother? How can I best edify and build you up and help you stay in that place where we are agreeing with Jesus? Yes, Lord, your grace is sufficient for me. He's not asking for more performance on our part. That the solution, some of you have come, and, come to the conference today, you just think, well, if I just performed better, my life would be better. It's not about your performance. The issues and the circumstances of your life, even if you've brought them on yourself, even if they are consequences of bad behavior, are still tools to teach you that God's grace is sufficient for you. And if it is indeed something that was brought upon by your bad decisions, repent. There's a way out. Repent. And humble yourself before God and accept the true forgiveness of your sins. I believe going all in is a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ where we learn and accept and believe that his grace is sufficient for us, even in the deepest thorny issues. Like Paul, we ask for help from the Lord and he answers our prayers. And I believe the purpose of prayer is not that we might, that God might give us help in particular, but that he might give himself to us. You know how our prayers do become, God, would you help me? God, would you take this thorn away from me? God, and they become very particularly supplications where we're asking God to act on our behalf. Remember, prayer has a, a couple of different ingredients. Prayer would include adoration, where you're, just, just, you're so in love with God, and in your prayers you're acknowledging how good he is in your life, and you're living in a place of adoring him and appreciating him. Prayer can also involve our confession of sin as God reminds us, hey, you know what, that what you did with your wife and, and what you did over here and that thought that you had and those decisions that you made, it, that those are not consistent with a relationship with me and that through that conviction we confess our sins. And what does the Bible say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Of course, prayer also involves thanksgiving as we're thanking God and just so grateful with a thankful heart of all that he's done and continues to do and all that he is in our lives, we're thankful. And part of our lives, unfortunately, most of our prayer lives are simply requests or another word for that is supplication. And we do request and there's nothing wrong with requests. But I have found over time that the purpose of prayer 
isn't so much that God might give us help for our requests as it is that a mechanism where God gives more of himself to us, where we are in tune with him. There's no greater place of being all in. Of course it makes, it, it, being all in definitely requires and, and is, is moved by a decision we make, but truly I see being all in as in relationship with him where he is my sufficiency. His grace is all that I need and I draw all of my resources and all of my strength from him. I love how John Corson puts it in his commentary. He writes this and I quote, the father says, you want me to take away this pain You want me to solve the problem, to get you out of the situation, but that's not what you need. You need me and the very problem that you're seeking to get away from and the very situation that you desire to get out of is the very one that's causing you to talk to me, to spend time with me, and to depend upon me. And you'll be stronger, he writes, when you're weak because you have no other choice than to draw strength from me. And you'll do better when you're weak because you'll have to rely upon me. That's where our brother Paul is and so many of us are today. That's the conclusion. I'll boast in my infirmities. I'll draw near to the Father that loves me. I'll trust him with my life in the good times and in the bad. I'll rejoice with those that rejoice and I'll weep with those that weep. And I'll be a vessel for God to live out his life through me so that even if I'm struck and even if those that are close to me are facing the effects of my life, I'm learning that God's grace is sufficient for me. Why? If you notice back in the text. Because God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. It doesn't say that God's strength is magnified through your strength. It doesn't say that everyone will see the strength in your life and magnify God. No, no, no. What it says and what Jesus is saying so personally to Paul, our friend, he says, Paul, I know, I know you want to get rid of it. I recognize that. But number one, you're learning something that my grace is all that you need. And secondly, in your weakness, my strength is being magnified. It's a testimony of my strength. The Lord says, this is, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Wherever we feel that we're strong and wherever we think that we can handle it or wherever we think we don't need help or wherever we think that we are capable, that is when you're most apt to stumble, men, and fall because you're trusting in yourself. It's in these areas when you're relying upon your own abilities, your own power, your own experience, your own wisdom, No matter how strong you might be, I say this as a loving warning, no matter how strong you perceive yourself to be, no matter how strong people think you are, no matter how strong you have confidence in yourself right now, and I'm not even talking sinful at all, just totally man stuff. I'm not talking about crossing the line and sinfully being prideful or any of that. That's a whole, that's an easier one than just you being men and, and we having confidence in where we're at and our accomplishments and, and just being able to sit down and survey our lives and go, you know what, I've lived a pretty good life. 
You know, and I've gone, I've done pretty much what I've wanted to do. I've hit all the goals that I've wanted in life. Just, just the simple, satisfactory conditions of life where you're trusting in yourself, where, where you're, you're, you're looking at your life and, and seeing your own strengths, no matter how strong you might be, one day you're going to come up against a situation that is bigger than you are and you're not going to be able to handle it and that's going to be the true test of your life up until that point when you learn the sufficiency of God's grace and the strength in your weakness. If you're the kind of person that is self-confident and capable and you come up against something that you're not able to handle, you're devastated often and destroyed. It wipes you out. You see, in the areas that you're weak, you know that you're weak and you know that you've got to trust the Lord. But in the areas where you're the strongest, well, you, you find that you lean on yourself and there's not a lot of crying out. You know, I would say this, in the areas of weakness, in your crying out to God, you, are, you truly are all in because you're drawing near to the source of sufficiency. But in the areas of your strength, I'm so proud of you that, that stood today talking like a dad, like as a dad to you, I'm so proud of you that you'd be humble enough to ask for help. And I'm so concerned for you that weren't. And I know not everybody, but I'm so concerned for you where you just process it all. I'm not gonna let anybody know that I'm going through anything. That's a danger sign. I don't know exactly where you're at, but that's a danger sign. Paul wasn't just crying out. You know, we're not involved. I'm not involved in your personal prayer life, so I don't know what you're praying for. But you want to know what Paul was praying for? He was praying for the difficulties in his life to be taken away from him. He was crying out and pleading. The word pleading literally means he was begging, anguishly begging for this thorn to be taken away. God gives us a little peek into his prayer life. And his prayer life is a pretty humbling thing because, you know, you're like, hey, Paul, I'm following you, man. If you don't know what you're doing, I can't follow you. What do you mean? You can't even handle the thorn? What is the thorn? Because when I look at you on the outside, you look okay. Now, there were some ideas of what it might be, that it might have been something outside, maybe an eye disease or something, or, or something to do with his body, and that's a great possibility. But maybe it was something internally. Maybe it was something that, that he was wrestling with on a personal level. Maybe it was a combination of both. We don't know. But God gives us insight on the powerful ministry of Paul to show us just simply this. And this is where I would leave you today in this session. To go all in is not just a decision that a man makes. Even if you make the decision, that's the easy part. I believe even in the trials of life, my own life, your life, that God is revealing to us that to go all in is a deeper surrender in relationship to the Father enjoying his sufficiency, relying and drawing upon his strength and not our own. Letting our weakness be made known, letting it be made magnified, letting it be the topic of life so that God's strength can be magnified, so that he can see, so the, world, the seeing world around us can observe the strength of God. Not to rely and just suck it up and we'll make it happen and we'll get through this, but rather a surrender and a cry, heart cry to the Father asking for his help, knowing that his answer will always be the same. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And what things turned around with Paul, because we don't read him praying like this again. He came to the conclusion in verse 9. He says, most gladly, this is, a, this is very hard. This is the harder part of the verse, actually. Because in his life, he says, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities. I have to admit, I'm not there. 
I'm not bragging on my trials. I, I, don't, I don't see that. I don't even know if that could ever happen in my life. But if it means a deeper intimacy with the Father, if it means more of Him in my life, if it means a, a determined surrender in relationship, then I want not just the first half of verse 9, I also want the last half. I want to see one day where the Lord would show me that the boasting in what's been allowed in my life, that the power of Christ could rest upon me. And even verse 10 is a deeper level, I think. It's a different Bible study altogether. But he goes from take this away to I'm going to boast. And then finally in verse 10, I'm going to take pleasure in my infirmities, needs, persecutions, distresses. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And so, Father, we are so grateful for the reality of your presence in our lives because truly there is a responsibility on our part and we choose, even in our heart of hearts right now, to go all in, in areas that where we're not, areas that have been holding back. And I know that it's not everyone that's in the midst of a burden and a heaviness right now, but there's many, there's many, many of us. And I'm so grateful to be counted among this group of men that love you and and desire to serve you and want to surrender to you. And thank you for that, that perspective, God, showing us that when we plead to you, uh, it's not just so much for you to answer our prayers, but to give us more of yourself, to show us that when we can't rely upon the things that are going on in our lives, that truly we are relying upon you and living for you and magnifying you. And, and, and there's the demonstration of the power of your spirit, not just my smarts, and not just my Bible study, and not just my mouth speaking words, but there is a true, powerful demonstration of your spirit that you would magnify your name and your glorious salvation among us today. And I know that much can be accomplished with the men that are just here in this room, and that there is much that you want to accomplish. And I pray you would pour your spirit out upon us today that there would be a sense of your presence among us and that we would grow in your grace and in your knowledge. And I pray for the thorns that you've allowed us to experience. So hard and difficult, but so fruitful in the lives that we live because truly you bought us, God, with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And we are thankful for that. And today, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never invited him to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says that God loves you so much that he acted on that love. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. So that today, if you turn away from your sinful past and ask Jesus to forgive you, the Bible says that he will. The Bible doesn't say a church forgives you and the Bible doesn't say being in a church forgives you, but the Bible does say that there's a glorious exchange awaiting for waiting you, those of you that repent of your sins and ask Jesus into your life. You say, how do, I, how do I accept this forgiveness? Well, number one, you admit that you've sinned. Secondly, you believe Jesus lived, died, and rose again for you. And thirdly, you confess that sin, turning away from, turning away from it. You repent of your sin. If you're here today and you'd say, Ed, that's me, I want to invite you right where you're at. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you that today would be the day we would gather together. God bless you. God bless you. Who else would say that's me? We gather together not just for Bible study. God bless you. Today would be the day, not religion saving you, but God himself. 
turning your life around. He loves you so much. And I'm so sorry it's taken this long for you. But you know what? It's the exact time that God has for you in your life. This is the day of salvation, the Bible says. This is. So now, those of you that have stood, and and I know maybe some of you guys that were around them, can you, if you were around them and you saw them stand because they went that back, could you just lay, thank you, can you guys just come around this brother right here and that guy brother back there, can you guys just come around? We're going to do what the Bible says. We're going to lay hands on him, on them, and and I'm going to lead them in a prayer. And I want them to know they're not alone, that they're surrounded by brothers right here in this building, that God is pouring out his spirit. You want to know a demonstration of a spirit, men? The salvation of souls is the demonstration of the spirit of God among us. He is here with us speaking. And so those of you right now, those of you that responded, pray with me. Would you pray directly to God and you can repeat after me something like this. Dear God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you lived for me, died for me, and rose again the third day. And I turn my life away from my sinful past to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you, man. Amen. All right. For those of you that responded, there are going to be pastors around here. Um, and we want to give you some things just so you can leave here knowing how to follow Jesus and what that looks like. So those guys that you guys that laid hands on, you're responsible for them. So make sure they connect and get one.